in that month where I was really evaluating what I want my life to be like. And I felt like I was at a point where I was going to lay roots down in what I was going to be doing for work. It took me a long time to be like, okay, this is a real business. I still have anxiety all week, every time before I have a pop-up because I'm like, is anyone going to show up? Did I just source all of these clothes and no one's going to come and no one's going to buy them? Fast fashion's not a new concept. It's not like fast fashion only sprung up in the last 10 years. You asked me earlier and I think that now I just have an answer for it of like what's grown and my confidence has grown a lot because I've seen what's come from saying fuck it and doing something. Thank you for tuning in to my first episode of Passion Project Pending. Today I'm interviewing Savan Peleg who started the brand Sensitive Vintage out of her San Francisco garage a year and a half ago. Since then, the vintage clothing pop-ups that she hosts in the garage have grown a ton in popularity amongst those into the thrifting and sustainable fashion scene. I found out about her pop-ups through her social media presence and was lucky enough that she was willing to sit down with me while I asked her some questions. I work as an engineer and rarely get exposure to any sort of entrepreneurship or industry outside of tech, so having these conversations is very rewarding to me and fills me with creative energy and inspiration. I figured others would be as interested as I am to know the deep dive on how Savon got started and how it's going, so that is why we're here. Savon Peleg is a vintage clothing entrepreneur who opened her first vintage garage pop-up in San Francisco's Mission District a year and a half ago. Since then, she's delved into this business full-time and now holds pop-ups on a monthly cadence. She handles all aspects of her business, including sourcing items, mending, marketing, finances, and more, taking pride in the fact that all the items she sells are hand-selected by her. In this episode, we talk about how she got started, what she's learned, and what she may be interested in doing in the future, with a side of some knowledge about vintage clothing. As San Francisco is a city largely dominated by the tech industry, Savan's venture to start her own business is especially impressive given the general lack of fashion influence here and the guts it takes to start something not knowing exactly how it will end. This episode is for those interested in vintage clothing, entrepreneurship, and small businesses in big cities. Okay. (laughs) Thank you so much for joining me today. I'm really excited to ask you about your business, Sensitive Vintage. Yeah, I'm really excited. Thank you for having me. So to start, I would love to hear a little bit about how you got started doing what you do and what you did before. So my work history is very diverse. I didn't really have a straight career line before this. I've just kind of had a number of odd jobs since I was like 16. So I've worked in restaurants. I was a makeup artist at some point. When I was in college, I had a business doing wedding makeup while I was working at Mac at Nordstrom, where I learned a lot about working in retail. Something that I will always take away from them is just use your best judgment. (laughs) Like that was what they always told employees when it came to dealing with customers. And I thought it was really valuable giving people the discretion instead of like clear-cut rules like at mac or nordstrom or yeah it was i worked at mac at nordstrom so we kind of got like both training Mm. um so that was the nordstrom side but with through mac i learned a lot also i was a nanny at some point i did property management at some point 
I mean, there was a time when I was just doing gig work. Like I was picking up like random jobs at like restaurants or cafes, just like the most random work history. And then my first quote unquote big girl job was working at a cannabis company. And it turned out to not really be what I thought was a big girl job. And I was actually like folding t-shirts in a warehouse and then like going to dispensaries and setting up a table and being like a promo, like offering promotions to people that were coming in. But I weaseled my way into digital marketing at that company and got to help out part-time in the digital marketing department, which is where I learned like what I know about social media and that world. And then lost that job that was like during COVID. And then I got a social media job working for this like horrible vitamins company. And then, yeah, it was after leaving that job that I started Sensitive Vintage. And it was essentially a time where I was at a crossroads. I had left this social media job. I had another job offer that was at a startup. I don't even know how I ended up in a position where I was working these kind of jobs because, you know, you can tell based on my job history, I was not a nine to five person. And so it didn't ever really feel natural, but I was offered a job at a startup that a f- like a friend of mine was starting and it was, I was going to be their first employee. They had just gotten a ton of funding. It was um, a health coaching platform and I was taking a month in between jobs and was kind of not sure that I wanted to take this new job because it, like I said, it just didn't feel right necessarily. I was like, wow, is this going to be my life? They kind of made it sound like it was going to be grueling and that my life was going to be over for a few years while I was the first employee at their tech startup. And I was just like, how the fuck did I end up, excuse my language, I was like, how did I end up in this situation where I'm going to be spending all of my time on some company that I like, they were offering me equity and all of this stuff. But I just was like, I don't even know what any of this means. Um, It's like you have to really want it. Yeah. And it was, in theory on paper, it was a great opportunity. A lot of people were, would have been like, you know, a lot of people in my life were like, this is an incredible opportunity. And ultimately, my dream was always to have a vintage store. And I think I had just never really said it out loud. And it was in that month where I was really evaluating what I want my life to be like. And I felt like I was at a point where what I did in that moment was going to I was I was going to lay roots down in what I was going to be doing for work. And I was like, well, I have this time off. Like, let's I met somebody who invited me to vend at a market when I told them that I was interested in vintage. And I basically went thrifting for two weeks, bought a bunch of stuff and vended at this market and had the most fun I've ever had. I got to connect with people, see people pick up pieces that I had pulled and love them and go home with them and the energy was amazing. And I was just like, wow, that's what I want to do. How can I make that happen? And I had the garage already, my garage um, in the mission in an incredible location. And it was my partner, Evan, who was like, dude, let's just do a pop up in the garage because we had talked about it. We were like, we could do this. We could totally like slaying clothes out of the garage. And we decided to do it a couple of weeks after I did that initial market And we kind of like pushed all the trash that was in the garage to the back and blocked off half of it. And I I think I had like 30 pieces out at that first sale and I did 
next to no marketing whatsoever. I just opened the garage. Luckily, there's some foot traffic there and some people came in. And I guess I sold enough that I felt like I could do that. And I had saved some money during COVID when I had that social media job. And I basically decided that I was not going to take that job. And I didn't. And then from that point forward, just went super hard on Sensitive Vintage. And now it's been a year and a half since then. That's wild. I have a couple questions just from what you said. So, okay, so you were comfortable enough to start something new, like not necessarily knowing what income it would bring, but like being encouraged by like the first pop-up. Because I know like it's scary to like... It's very scary. It's, yeah, uncertain. I really didn't know. I had had what you could call a business doing wedding makeup when I was in college, but it was on top of me having a job. And it was, I was 18. I ran it nothing like what I run this business like now. And yeah, it was totally scary. I knew nothing about running a business. I knew nothing about reselling, like trends, like things that you learn after, you know, your first year, your first three years or whatever in a business. I had no idea how, you know, if the next sale I was going to sell more or less, or if people were responding, just, yeah, I knew nothing. Luckily, I have to be honest, my partner, so my my partner in life, Evan, he's just the kind of person that throws himself into things and is like, he's a risk taker and very creative and was just super encouraging. And he's like, we can do this. You can do this. And I credit him a lot for being the push and support that I needed. Both like he he did have a full-time job and that was a huge factor. And I would never lie about, you know, knowing that we were, we live together where I'm not like, you know, we're engaged yeah. now. We, oh, congratulations. Um, thank you. <laughs> but it was at the point where, you know, I wasn't scared that I was going to like get evicted or something. If like, yeah, he would have been able to pay rent for the first few months or something if if something had happened at that point. So that's definitely a factor and I would never lie about that. Yeah, to be honest, it's funny because now I can't even really remember what was going through my head. It was kind of just becomes like survival. You're like, well, I'm doing this. I have to do this. Yeah. And like, let's make it happen. What are we going to do to make it happen? Now looking back and that job from the startup, that was a great opportunity, quote unquote, Do you ever look back at that and be like, what if? Or are you like, no, this is absolutely like more my thing or somewhere between? Oh, my God. I've never looked back. Even (laughs) I've looked back and said, thank whatever Lord I believe in that day that I didn't take that job. Mm -hmm. I don't even know. I can't even imagine my life if I didn't take that or if I did take that job and didn't do this. And now do you feel like much more closer to like what you want to be doing like this feels like in line with like it's fulfilling to you yeah it's funny I think I mentioned that selling vintage and working in this industry was something that I always wanted to do but I am definitely somebody that suffers from imposter syndrome and I think that I was so scared always to say out loud what I wanted to do for fear of it not working out rejection failing like all of those things and now I'm like, wow, I feel like I should have known all along that this is where I belong and what I should be doing. And it's there's so many reasons why it aligns with who I am. And I started thrifting so long ago once I started learning about fast fashion and the just the fact that the fashion industry is the biggest polluter. Don't quote me on that, but it's up there. Yeah. <laughs> um. So there's that part of it that I think that it's an like 
secondhand clothing, the resale market is in line with trying, you know, doing my part for doing my part to save the earth as best I can. Um, no, you're doing and, a lot. And also <laughs> just I've always been obsessed with clothes. Yeah. And I think that the fashion industry is really intimidating and you grow up kind of seeing the fashion industry in movies and in yeah. pop culture. And it seems very intimidating and finding my place in this industry where I feel safe and I love the community and is, I'm just like, I, yeah, I should have known all along that this yeah. is like exactly where I belong. Yeah. I'm so happy. That's great to hear. It is so intimidating and like like I grew up in Michigan for example and it's like what could I possibly how could I possibly be involved in the fashion industry you see the big brands and like the runway shows and it's just like is there another way I don't know but this is like a way where you can work with clothes all the time and it's not like a part of that like big machine so that's cool totally so your Instagram account for example that's how I found out about sensitive vintage people make videos about it like or you possibly and like it shows up on my feed so like you had experience a little bit with social media marketing yeah so I were I guess total I worked for about well for a year and a half in digital marketing and that umbrella kind of covers social media email marketing I wasn't doing design but just kind of any way of marketing that happens digitally, but with a heavy concentrate on social media. And then I actually did have a social media job after that. That was, I was a social media manager for some stupid vitamins company. But yeah, I will say that I learned a fair amount doing that. And I'm super grateful for that experience because yeah, I mean, it's a sort of unfortunate reality that being good at social media is almost a prerequisite to having a successful business or starting a successful business in the year. You know, I started it in 2021, but you know, now not for all industries and it's like by no means a blanket statement, but it does help. And I think that it's helped me because I know for me, I have foot traffic where when I have garage pop-ups, but now the vast majority of people that come are people that are coming specifically to come because they found me initially either on Instagram or on TikTok. Mm, that's awesome. Yeah. Yeah, that's really interesting. I have some experience with like making TikToks, but I, like I started an account about like coding because that's what I do. But I heard from someone who I follow some like people or a person who said like, it's hard to grow an account on social media unless you like have a like a product or like a brand because it's like, Unless it's just like you, your personal brands. Yeah. So I think that's very cool. Like, so did you grow? Were you in charge of growing both your TikTok and your Instagram? Yeah. Agreed. <laughs> I do <laughs> feel it's hard because I don't have the manpower to post the actual items that I'm selling very often. I, I'll post previews and and of course, I try to show people what's going to be at the sale, but I've kind of focused on in-person selling and not selling on Instagram. And I do feel like it's a challenge sometimes because it does make it a lot easier to have a focus when you're like, this is what I'm selling, mm -hmm. you know, like here, look at this on social media. But I do think that you can be 
you you said this, but um, like if you were going to do educational stuff for coding, you just would have to make your brand that you are an educator for coding. Yeah. But it takes a lot. It takes a lot of commitment to actually grow it in that way. And a lot of perseverance yeah, <laughs> and continuing to post even when you're only getting 200 views or whatever yes. on, on TikTok or something yes. um, and reaching the right people. But, but with you, you have like the pop-ups to like market to people. Yeah. Yeah. What I market like most of the time is the pop-ups and then I, yeah, I have made a point to obviously I'm not trying to give anyone the illusion that I'm like a bigger business than I am. Like I'm literally me. I have my partner Evan that helps me on the side of what you know he has a job and then I have someone named Greta that's working for me now who's amazing I love her um yeah and I can tell you about how that went but basically I mean ultimately at the end of the day it's like you know one and a half people like really I thought that it was important for me to show through my social media since that is my only way of communicating with people other than when I get to see them at the pop-ups that, yeah, it's me. I'm the one sourcing the clothes. I'm the one washing them. I try to show my personality a little bit and let people in really. So um, I think that it was I thought that it was important for me to show through my social media since that is my only way of communicating with people other than when I get to see them at the pop-ups that it's me I'm the one sourcing the clothes I'm the one washing them I try to show my personality a little bit and let people in um because yeah I'm not a big business and I think that if I'm giving social media advice which I'm by no means an expert Um, but I do think that those are the type of brands and companies that are translating now is, you know, you want to see the people behind them because it's all in the same vein as wanting to shop small and support people and not corporations. Yeah. And so I'm like, it's me you're supporting. (laughs) Yeah. You know, which is amazing. And I'm so grateful. And so I kind of think that it's something that like their audience Cause it's a level of transparency. Yeah. I also think that like when people are genuine on social media it stands out against like other accounts that are like just grinding for a following. Um, I think totally. that like really shows through. Um, but I was going to ask, do you feel like your like social media abilities have like grown throughout this process at all? Yeah, I think so. It's, um, I mean, you learn, I've learned things just, it's simple, like looking at the analytics on Instagram and seeing what kind of posts do well and what doesn't. And um, not that it's all about getting likes or something, but it's really I'm, a lot of business owners that I talk to and I have this experience. Instagram is just awful and it really sucks when you're putting something out there that like nobody ends up seeing. Mm-hmm. It's just really disheartening so it does ride it's it's totally a wild ride and it sucks when you put effort into making a video or taking a photo and nobody sees it so of course you want out there that or you want to put your effort into making things that are going to actually get pushed out to just the people that follow you that's like all people ask you know it's like I know business owners that have 10,000 followers on Instagram but maybe they weren't active for the last few months because they had something going on in their lives anyway this is neither here nor there because this is about Instagram and it's we all know it's an evil necessary evil but um but yeah I do think that my overall I've learned how to use that power 
for good a little bit or use that tool as and view it as a tool and try really hard not to let it break my spirit (laughs) when it doesn't do well because it is it feel like yeah like I just said my brand is me so sometimes it can definitely feel like a personal attack when something flops or when I get a bad reaction or when some you know when somebody comments something mean or yes stuff like that it's really hard but luckily I have people around me that are like are like don't support it Yeah. yeah Yeah, I feel like you just have to grow a thicker skin. You don't have to. You just do over time. Just yeah. like out of exposure, especially on TikTok. I feel like TikTok people are so mean. Yeah. And like, I haven't really yeah. had it much, but like friends of mine, I'm just like, oh. yeah, I've had a few people, but I don't think I have enough. I have like a very small social media following generally, yeah. but people are meaner on TikTok. They feel really yeah, anonymous. They feel anonymous. Yeah, yeah. exactly. And then like, with TikTok, you never really know when you post if it's going to get pushed out to like a certain amount of people. So when it gets pushed out to a lot, it's like that's when it really draws people out of the woodwork and it's scary, scary. sometimes. Um, it's like exciting, but scary. But um, OK, so other than social media, like how do you feel like you've like grown in your business from like when you first started your pop up? Like what sort of things do you feel like you've really gotten better at that have helped you because you obviously your garage pop-ups have become like very popular (laughs) I'm like oh my gosh where do I begin I everything really you just yeah I had to learn so many things because how I started this was pretty much like overnight I wish I had like a better story about how I started it but it was really just like we're gonna just try and see how it goes so it took me a long time to be like okay this is a real business I still have anxiety all week every time before I have a pop-up because I'm like is anyone gonna show up did I just source all of these clothes and no one's gonna come no one's gonna buy them and you know it's like Evan my partner being like dude people come every time. It's okay. It's going to be okay. Maybe it won't be, you know, like even if it's not incredible, there's going to be some people that come. I had to learn. I'm like, oh my gosh, I don't know. Like this year I just started, opened a business bank account and did an LLC and all of this stuff that I just never thought that I would have to do. And it's super scary and I hate it. And I'm honestly not feeling good about it but I think it will be okay and I'm trying to trust the process and remember that everyone who does this is super new at some point and the first year like tracking all of your expenses and whatever is probably not great for anyone so it's gonna be okay but yeah it's like I'm the marketing department I'm the buying department I'm laundry I'm cleaning I'm organizing I'm mending I'm customer service I'm literally salesperson (laughs) like I do everything so it's learning a little bit of something every single day (laughs) yeah that sounds like really overwhelming but also like as someone who has consistently worked a nine-to-five still overwhelming but like very exciting because it's like almost you're forced to have exposure to so many different skills you're just like forced to learn them I feel like that experience is like so valuable like no matter what you do in the future yeah and I bet the finances are like terrifying um just terrifying from like my brief experience as a reseller like I opened a separate account at one point just because I thought it was like a good thing to do did I ever use it no like I did not know 
what was going on yeah it's wild i'm i feel fine about this year moving forward a little scared like sales tax is a little scary i just started collecting sales tax and doing like i got Mm -hmm. a square reader which has been amazing and what prompted you to make like all the financial changes like getting like oh starting LLC, honestly it was mostly tax. just the venmo stuff because i was accepting payment on venmo primarily last year you know there's all these changes with venmo how they're going to be reporting anyone that takes in over x dollars i don't remember what the amount is um but to the irs oh i didn't know that yeah so okay. there's you can no longer take in all your money in venmo and like have it not I think they're going to start sending people 1099s or something. I'm not exactly sure. Okay. But basically, it was just time. Like, I was like, okay, it's been a year and a half. And I got to a point where I'm selling enough that it makes sense to make everything legit. And I think that, yeah, in the end, it's going to feel better. And I don't have to be scared of that kind of stuff anymore. I have a business license and all that kind of stuff now. Yeah. And I think it'll just open doors to be able to do more things. Yeah. Like, to be legit. Sure. Yeah. Yeah. Are there things that you prefer, like in your never ending list of to do's over others and things that you love? I love sourcing. I love treasure hunting, essentially, um, and finding new sources. That's been one of the most fun parts is learning. I didn't really have nobody told me like this is how you find vintage. It's not thrifting. (laughs) Thrifting is is great and fun, but it's more fun when you're just shopping for yourself or like on a smaller scale it's not really a sustainable way of sourcing larger amounts of vintage Mm -hmm. so it's been really fun just learning by doing a few months ago I found some guy named Shorty in Turlock that was getting rid of a bunch of his boiler suits he was a truck driver and so I like drove to Turlock and he was so cute and he had set up a bunch of racks in his driveway and I bought a bunch of workwear from him and it's stuff like that that's super fun. I'm like, I probably never would have met Shorty <laughs> if yeah. I hadn't, you know. So that's really fun because it's different every day. And then getting to take all the stuff I find and curate it and decide what to put out and merchandise the garage. That's really fun. I love the actual garage pop-ups because I get to meet so many people. I've made so many my really close friends from doing this just from meeting them at the pop-ups unity of other vintage resellers in the city and in the bay area so that it's the sourcing and then that facetime of Mm -hmm. getting to see people excited over the things that that i pulled i think that if i was just selling online i wouldn't be doing it anymore i don't think i could deal it's a lot of the stuff i do in between sales sucks and is like not fun and very not glamorous at all but having those sales and getting to see people makes it worth it for yeah, sure i can imagine and also like online can be difficult to manage right because everything is like one select item yeah it's just a lot of work to sell vintage online because it's not like selling an item that's mass produced where you photograph it once you measure it once you list it once and then you make a hundred or a hundred thousand or whatever sales off of that initial work that went into posting it it's like every single item requires shooting it measuring it listing it writing a description you know maybe making an just so many things and it's you know for for an example for something that costs $45 that's definitely not worth it but even if it costs $150 it's still hard to make the case that it's 
worth it. I mean, yeah. it, it you know, it depends on what you're doing and it depends on the person and how fast you're moving with it and like what your setup is, of course. And for some people, they can totally make it work and absolutely crush that way. For me, it was not working. I just was not set up for it. And I decided to focus on in-person. So I think if you're selling higher end stuff that that it could work. But for the land that I live in, in terms of like what I'm selling, it was not the right move. Yeah. Makes sense. There is like a little bit of a thrifting scene in SF, I guess on hate or like in the mission. Do you ever think about like how your business or like the items that you provide kind of stands out from that? Or do you not really think about that and you just like source what you love? Yeah, it's not something I think about a lot. Of course, I love to check out what other people have and I love vintage shopping and supporting other people that are doing what I'm doing. But the beautiful thing about vintage is that it's really not a competition between sellers because you could be selling the same style of things as somebody else and you're still probably not even going to have two of the same pieces. That's the beautiful thing about selling it and about buying it is I like personally, I never get sick of going into vintage stores because everything is different. Like I said, even if it's the same style, even if it's two stores that specialize in workwear, they're going to have different things. And hopefully I'll find something I love at one of them or both of them or whatever. But it's really not. um, It's hard to compare. Yeah. Two different. And I guess like a lot of vintage places like the stuff there is already so handpicked. So it's like so unique. Yeah. Like if there is any differentiator, it's that. I have my own space, which I love and Mm -hmm. I get to hand. I literally touch and pick every single thing in that garage. And I kind of like that I have full control over it and of the way that that it gets sold. And I don't want to I like the thought of something of selling something and not getting to be the one. I'm like obsessed with my interactions with everybody when I check (laughs) people out like at the garage. Like I have Greta and my partner Evan helping in the garage like at the sales but it's my favorite thing to be the person that's bringing people up because I get to see what everybody gets and you know it feels kind of like the little cherry on top of what I do and yeah so I like getting to source them all to and to be the person that um sees like through. sees them off <laughs> yeah sees the sale yeah through. yeah so you just hired someone Mm-hmm. Okay. Yeah. So can you tell me a little bit about that and like what went into that decision um, to finally like get some help, I guess? So I had been talking about it for a while. I knew I really, well, I needed somebody to help me primarily at the time was what I thought was I really needed somebody to work my pop-ups with me. Me and Evan was not enough anymore. We needed a third person and one of my really good friends had been working quote unquote she had been helping at the pop-ups but it was and I would kind of trade her in clothes which she was super happy with and it was great but it was kind of it got to the point where because it was unofficial I couldn't I felt bad counting on her and like I didn't want to tell her you have to be here at this time so that was kind of the point where I was like okay I need somebody because I do need to be like you need to be here from 11 to 5 and like this is what I want you to do and so on, so on and so forth. So it needed to be like an actual employee. But actually thinking about finding someone was super daunting and Greta, my perfect <laughs> the gift that just came to me, she came to a garage pop up and loved it and basically just sent me a DM on Instagram after and said, you know, I love what you're doing. I'm super interested in helping 
you know, she was kind of offering like any way that she could get involved. And I was like, well, it's perfect timing. I'm looking for somebody. Why don't we like meet up for coffee and see if we mesh and kind of talk about what I need. And yeah, we met and just kind of instantly clicked. We're both cancers. <laughs> um, and um, and yeah, we met and just kind of instantly clicked. We're both cancers. Um, <laughs> and yeah, so I just liked her. And honestly, I think that half of hiring somebody is just wanting to be around them and yeah. like feeling, you know, like I could hang out with you for seven hours or whatever. Yeah. And she's super smart and like with it socially, which is also something that you can't teach. Um, yeah. So that's very important to me, just in people in general. Um, and she pretty much came and worked like a garage sale with us the next week, I think. And it was great. And then, yeah, so we just, it's been six months now. I just realized. Oh, wow. (laughs) Yeah. I looked at the calendar the other day and I looked at when we met for coffee and I was like, oh my God, it's been six months. Um, so what is she mainly? So we, we, so she works with me right now one day a week. And then when we have the pop-ups, um, so it's pretty much she comes and I'm like, this is what we're doing today. And it really just depends because my days are so different every day. So sometimes we're going outsourcing. Sometimes we are sorting through huge piles of clothes that I need to decide what is going to happen with what. Like some stuff's going to go to the $5 bin. Some stuff is going to go to get reworked. Some stuff needs to be mended. Some stuff is going to get washed and put out. Um, that kind of sorting. Um, sometimes it's social media stuff. I have her help me when I need to film something or whatever, come up with ideas. Um, yeah, it's totally random. And I, she does not have a job title. Yeah. Um, but it's been really helpful. Um, it definitely holds me accountable to doing things sometimes that I don't want to do that. I'm her here today to help me. So I have to do this thing that I've been putting oh, off. That's interesting. And it's also been a little bit empowering and, letting somebody in and showing them things that I've learned and kind of helps me with my imposter syndrome a little bit because I'm like, all right, I do know some things like I'm like, I'm telling her things and I'm like, not like, it's like how I view myself, you know? Yeah. 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 That's wild to think about. Cause like, uh, yeah. Cause like when I like first heard about your garage pop up, I was just like, this is so sick. Like that this girl is like literally running this like on her own. Like that's so cool. But I feel like when you're alone and you're like handling so much, it can feel like you don't really know, you know? Yeah, totally. Like there's no one telling you like, hey, you're doing a great job almost. Oh, yeah. And not. Yeah. Yeah. Exactly. Not having coworkers, not yeah, having no feedback, no feedback yeah. and no accountability for time management. It's like half of the I've been told by people that half of the reason to go into business with somebody is just have somebody to look at when shit's fucked and just be like, what the fuck? <laughs> you know, yeah. and then like it's like to celebrate the good times and to kind of like wallow together when yeah. things are not good. Yeah. And luckily Evan's pretty much been my quote unquote business partner in this, but I have talked pretty much for the last year about how I wish I had a partner that was 
as invested in like the whole thing, Mm -hmm. you know, could source and do all the things that I do. But it just hasn't seemed like feasible. And having Greta come on has helped a lot. And yeah, I do have a lot of support. Um, Yeah. Evan helps me a lot as well with just emotional support yeah he's really good at cleaning and organizing and he loves like he's down to do whatever i need him to do which is amazing i'm super i'm like so grateful for that but yeah it's it's kind of hard like really feeling like it all falls on you stressful and i feel like what you're doing is like very unique and like very different and so when you look around there's not a lot of examples for what you're doing so i like again like it's just like almost an unanchored feeling i would imagine yeah (laughs) and yeah it's hard i mean you get some feedback from social media and stuff from you see some people but i'm sometimes just like i don't know do people is it like being well received like you know it's Yeah. yeah it's really i think i typically come off as like extroverted but i'm definitely like socially anxious just like Every, mm-hmm. you know pretty much everyone and yes. I'm like oh my god yes do people hate this like, <laughs> it, like I don't know it's it's definitely like not not having feedback or not having a boss yeah is hard yeah but or that's another a mentor reason. even yeah. like, <laughs> but that's why I think it's so cool because like it takes a lot like first of all it takes a lot to like be like I'm gonna go do this even though I don't know what is gonna happen and then to stick with it I think is another thing that is scary to people who might like have an idea but like not act on it um, yeah so you're doing a great job thank you from the outside <laughs> you are too for starting a podcast thank very you very badass it is you just have to dive in and yeah it's uh scary start before you're ready right <laughs> yeah okay okay <laughs> that was my thought when i dm yeah you. that's definitely i mean my sister always says this and i it's like my words to live by is closed mouth closed mouths don't get fed yeah, if you want something, ask for it. Yeah, and yeah. it's what's the worst that's going to happen. Yes. And, like, get used to being rejected, like, here and there. I'm just... For a lot. I'm not scared of it anymore. And that's what Greta, who's working for me now, she was like, I never do that stuff. Like, cold DM somebody and ask them oh. if I can work for them or whatever. But it was... It turned out so good, and she's become such a good friend of mine, and it's just been a really good working relationship, and... Yeah, a lot of those like opportunities yeah. just come from stepping out of your comfort zone and being like, yeah, fuck it. I'm just gonna let's see what they say. Yeah, exactly. And like not being afraid of like if it, if it is a failure, if it is a flop, like mm-hmm. why is that a bad thing? Yeah, it's so funny when I look back at those first garage pop ups I had and I'm like, oh my God, it was like humility. I mean, it's not, you're like, it was fine, but it yeah. was definitely a start before you're ready type of situation i'm just like oh my god i can't even imagine like what it looked like i wish i could just see like a live side by side of like the garage now and what it was then but i feel like it's always like that like like you know like you look back and like if you're not cringing at your past work then you haven't like grown yeah so people say yeah yeah and also i feel like if you don't start before you're ready or whatever the alternative might be like paralysis and just like being scared yeah. to start and never thinking you're ready because you haven't done like enough research or whatever. And I feel like that's something that a lot of people struggle with. Yeah. And it's really, I would say you asked me earlier and I think that now I just have an answer for it of like what's grown and my confidence has grown a lot yeah. be, to now I feel more comfortable doing things before I'm ready 
as it relates to this business and not everything in life, but because I've seen what's come from just like saying fuck it and doing something. So yeah, just having an idea to do something and just deciding to do it and kind of like worry about it after once there's something, you know, (laughs) once there's something real and tangible. Yeah. And then it's like, it's like, you know, you know, you've done it once so you can do it again. And then it's like less scary to fail because like, whatever, like I know I can handle it. Totally. I can count on myself, all that jazz. (laughs) Okay. One thing I'm really curious about, what sort of pieces do you feel like like really sell well for you? Like, can you even answer that? Or like, is that, I don't know. What would you it's say? It's so funny because I, this is ironic because we're doing a podcast, but I always say I have a really hard time talking about that. I can visualize it and I can pick it and put it out in the garage, but I'm like, I don't even know. It's, I try really hard to have my finger on the pulse of, I don't even know if that's how that saying goes. I try really hard to be on top of what people want because obviously I can't, vintage is not being manufactured right now, but as with anything in the fashion industry, there are trends. And so it's just really important to be for what I'm doing. There's kind of the middle point between what I like, what sells, what's trendy there's there's like a line there and obviously at the end of the day I'm a business and I can't put stuff out that's not going to sell so it's really just trying to be ahead of what people want in the moment I've only been doing it for a year and a half so it hasn't changed like drastically but I think that that's something that's important for me to forget not forget is um yeah, it's going to change and I have to evolve and like constantly be evolving and never feel like an expert. Not, I don't feel even close to being an expert right now and I'm still learning every day, but I think that that's probably in my not expert opinion. Mm -hmm. Um, The downfall of some businesses that like, I would like to stay around for a long time. I think that I'm, I know that I'm really happy doing what I'm doing and I would love to be able to do this for a long time. So yeah just knowing what knowing what works yeah yeah I mean like so like I don't know there can't be a lot of people out there who could do what you do also given your experience you just get better at like yeah I would say like if I had to give I mean I hate most fashion from the 80s I don't I 80s workwear t-shirts are fine stuff like that but femme any you know power work suits big shoulder pads not your thing not my thing I don't pick those up it's not for my customers so there's definitely you know I think 90s fashion right now is very popular so I pick up a lot of stuff from the 90s mm. I love the 70s I like 60s 70s mod psychedelic stuff I love yeah 50s 60s really any workwear I love and I've noticed more and more men coming, which has been really nice because I do love sourcing mask stuff. Mm -hmm. Um, When you say workwear, what does that mean exactly? Well, I guess the word historically is like clothes to work in. But so if you think of like Carhartt, even jeans, I guess are considered workwear. Um, Okay. Dickies, Big Mac, like walls, like those brands of clothing that historically was made for people like who are 
doing labor mm-hmm. of any kind. So yeah. Do you feel like you have, you can look at like items and just kind of know like what decade or like general time they're from? Yeah, that's definitely been something that I am constantly working on learning, but at this point I have, there's, there's indicators that you learn pretty quickly Mm. um, just from looking at so many labels and, and things. And I still look stuff up every single day to date stuff, but yeah, there's, there's different things. Like there was a period, I can't remember exactly when, but when the, I don't know if it was the government or garment union or whatever, but started mandating washing instructions on labels, for example. Mm. So that's like one way of dating things is like if it has washing instructions or not. And where it was made is an indicator. Wow. So the cool. fabrics, um, stitching, obviously cult brands like Levi's, there's like very specific things where most pairs of Levi's you can really date down to like the exact year. I'm not like wildly interested in denim. Like I like it as much as anyone else, but it's definitely an entire category into in and of its own. And I'm just not interested right now in being an expert in denim um, because I don't think the garage pop-ups really lend themselves to shopping for denim is really intense yeah um so but yeah there's it's definitely it's like an Mm. something i'm always learning is dating items but that's like you know most of the fun is trying to imagine what it was like when this was made yeah do you feel like you look at or like care about the composition of the item like the materials like percentage whatever yeah definitely talking like just the fabric composition yeah I'm just curious about that because I remember for my thrifting days like you could tell when something was cheap versus like Mm. well typically that's like actually one of the reasons why a lot of people get interested in vintage clothing in the first place is because everything was typically made a lot better really like probably up until the 90s obviously much better before that fast fashion's not a new concept it's not like fast fashion only sprung up in the last 10 years but yeah clothes were just made much better back in the day i think polyester started being widely used in like the 70s and so stuff some of that stuff can feel kind of funny but it's still made so much better than it's not like It's nothing compared to polyester that's Mm. from Shein or something like today and like where it literally feels like paper like or like literally plastic and (laughs) is feels like disposable. So, yeah, with vintage, most of the time you can count on it being well made. Mm. Um, So the what fabrics they are is, is like totally interesting. And also like sometimes there's like implications of whether it will sell or not, you know, like some wool that's super itchy for example like sometimes there's definitely a market and there's vintage enthusiasts that don't mind that but my customer like typically is not into that so stuff like that Mm -hmm. typically is not into that so stuff like that Mm -hmm. um but yeah okay yeah I'm just curious um okay so one thing I one thing that I'm really curious about is like so this is in a way like something you've wanted to do. Um, now having it be your full-time job, like your occupation and like a source of money, like do you feel like that has any effect on like your love of doing it? Like just the stress of all the different jobs or like 
the fact that like it is your income like does that affect your relationship with it at all how would you say it's funny because um yeah I think that is a normal concern with making something that you love into a career that you rely on to support you financially but it doesn't feel like it feels like I love it more because now what I love the most is going to flea markets, going thrifting, like looking for other sources of vintage, going to estate sales, all that stuff. Like I love old stuff and finding it. And basically now I feel like I've created a career where I could do that all the time. Whereas if I had another full-time job, it's like, it's hard to find the time to do that. Um, yeah. So I'm just actually so grateful that that's what I get to do Yeah. for work. Like, it's like, I have more time to, well, I literally have to, but I have the time to do what I love and it's, I've only gotten more obsessed with it. Okay. Well, yeah. that's really good to hear. Obviously all the other stuff sucks. Like I'm literally <laughs> doing laundry. I want to die. My personal laundry is out of control. I haven't done my personal laundry in so long because I do so much laundry for work that the do last thing I want to do is like wash my own stuff. I have a washer and dryer. Okay. But, um, but yeah, it's definitely like that. There's, there's the parts that suck really bad, but that doesn't feel like it has anything to do with getting to okay. look for vintage all the time. Okay. Yeah. That is interesting. Cause I feel like I've tried to do like multiple things on top of my full-time job. Cause I'm just like not ready. I, I'm not like financially in a place, whatever, yeah. but none of them feel like enough for me to just either financially or like the passion, but also it's so hard to be motivated to do something after you get home yeah. from your nine to five. So totally it's like, do I really care about it or am I just really tired? So I'm just, (laughs) yeah, yeah, I'm always just curious about that. Oh, I really want to know, like from doing the pop-ups and like now you have someone who helps you and like you really love it. Like, what do you see for like the future of this? Do you ever think about that? Like if you had like an even bigger dream, like I guess what would that be? Or is it already just like your dream right now? So... I should be, I get, I don't know. I hate to say I should be doing anything because that's bullshit. But, um, sometimes I wonder if I should be planning for the future or planning for growth or something. But then I kick myself and I'm like, I'm really not in this to like, I'm so happy that I'm supporting myself doing what I'm doing and have a pretty, I work a lot, but I feel like I have, a nice balance because a lot of the time it doesn't like when I'm outsourcing, I don't feel like I'm working. So yeah, I feel like I'm in a really good place with it where I have to constantly check myself and be like, dude, you, you're not in this to like, how can we take it to the next level? Like, it's like, I'm so happy that I'm supporting myself right now. Um, me and Evan do talk about if there's a world where we could both be full time doing it because he's really creative and has things that he wants to do and make that like could be part of, like under the umbrella of sensitive vintage. Um, so that's like one sort of what's the word unstructured goal, I guess. Mm-hmm. Um, but other than that, I don't really, I'm just, yeah, it's the first time in my life that I've just felt calm in what I'm doing for work. And I feel I'm meeting so many people all the time that are doing interesting things. And 
I feel like the next thing will happen naturally. I really want to start either like styling or personal shopping. That's one thing I want to do. And I'm not really sure how yet. Mm-hmm. Um, just before I came here, I met someone who is a stylist full time and she was amazing. And I asked her if she would be willing to chat with me about how to get started doing that. Yeah. Cause I do have a couple of people that do want me to start personal shopping for them and kind of helping them build their wardrobe. And I would do it shopping all secondhand, which is a layer of difficulty because a lot of people that are stylists buy a lot of things and then return them, but that's not to figure out. And, mm. but yeah, so I'm going to talk to, I, her name is Mira. She's a stylist full time and I'm going to sit down and talk with her soon um, and just try to figure out like how to get started. I have a friend of mine that wants me to do it for her. So she's super willing to kind of be my first client where we can navigate together how yeah. it is going to look. Um, Cause I have no idea how to, it's like another thing. I'm just like, well, how do you, what's the price structure? How do I, I don't even know how stylists charge for their time and for the pieces that they pick up because yeah, I'm going to be buying them secondhand. Um, it's not like where you bring like an assortment of clothes and then they pick, is it like, I don't even know. Like, to be honest, I don't even know what it looks like to, to do that. So that's, I just know that I love shopping. I'm really good at shopping and I, there's, I, go, I, I would say I'm good at secondhand shopping. Mm. Um, so there's a lot of people that really like they walk into a thrift store or even like a consignment store, a buy, sell, trade store, a vintage store, any type of store mm. where it's not merchandised with new product, you know, new product are really overwhelmed. Um, yeah. So obviously, you know, if you walk into a fucking Zara or something like they're telling you what to buy, there's that item, there's that item and there's yeah. like 10 of them. You just grab it in your size. But a vintage store, even a really well curated one to somebody who's not, I don't know, I I really do think you can be good at shopping and bad at shopping at that kind of shopping. It can be overwhelming and just kind of like not fun. Yeah. So I would love to help people who have that experience be able to shop secondhand. Yeah. And like I can get their measurements. We can create a board of what they, what their dream wardrobe is. You know, like I was telling my friend who wants me to do it for, I was like, spend some time on social media, screenshot anyone you see in an outfit that you like. We will build a board. That was kind of, I was like, that's where we can start. And then we'll see how it goes from there. That's Um, so cool. But yeah, I was like that, that would be really fun. Yeah. Yeah. Also like, I mean, do you feel like there are a lot of secondhand stylists out there? Like that might be I don't a know. good like yeah. untouched market in a way. Yeah. Like some people might be really passionate about like shopping sustainably. And then to have a stylist who knows that really well, like that could be really cool. Yeah. Exactly. You know? That's yeah, I think that there's people that want to shop sustainably, but legitimately don't know how. Yeah. <laughs> it is it's a whole world. It takes a lot of like you have to like, I'm know. like, I spend like, I don't know. Sometimes when I'm bored, I'll spend like four hours, not, I don't know, maybe three hours like on eBay, just looking at stuff. I was going to ask you source stuff online ever. Not often for sourcing, but just like for fun and okay. just seeing what's there. And it's like a wave. I, it's like, for me, it's like research and seeing yeah. just what exists, but I love it and I have fun. But sometimes I think about it and I'm like, yeah, if I didn't do this for a job or this wasn't like my passion, 
who a has the time because I shop for myself a lot online, like on Depop and eBay and like whatever, just because I'm on there so much. But I'm like, who has the time? There's so much crap on those websites. It's really not easy. No, it's not. It takes a lot of sifting. Yeah. And a lot of people don't have literally, I mean, that's a lot of careers are just saving people time. Yeah. I'm like, I can do that. (laughs) That's true. I can be your personal secondhand shopper. But that's really cool to think about like a vintage stylist because I feel like there's totally like a need for that. Yeah. So, but okay. Thank you so, so much for coming on my podcast without knowing literally anything. I am so (laughs) appreciative. Like I... Thank you so much. Like, of it's course. an honor. It's truly an honor. <laughs> it was really fun. Thank you for having me. And yeah, Good. I'm really excited to see what you do with this podcast. Yeah, I'm excited to see what you do with the <laughs> styling. So that's awesome. Okay. Yeah, maybe we'll have a, a little reunion in a couple years when we're both. Can you imagine? When your podcast mm. is huge and when I'm a vintage stylist. Oh, my gosh. <laughs> It'll be out there on Spotify soon, that (laughs) sentence. So there will be a digital record of that. (gasps) 